Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. I think we're made to run. You know, we have these long legs for a reason. They're made to be used, and we're, we don't, we're not forced to use our legs anymore. The marathon is 26 miles, 385 yards, or 42.2 kilometers. It's the perfect distance to, to truly test the human physiology, basically because of the amount of sugar we can have in our tanks. He has come to an emotional end. It's really a, a brutal distance, and the slightest things can, can make it a great event or make it disastrous. But at some point in the marathon, the distance is greater than the human ability to physically transcend it. See, you go through that sort of mental struggle and physical struggle, and and you say, geez, this is really, really hard, yeah. finish line I had absolutely nothing left. I was completely shot and done. You triumph over the adversity. That's what the marathon is all about. And therefore you know there isn't anything in life that you can't triumph over after that. Good morning guys. Good morning. Grace Covenant Church. Marathon, the distance is greater than the human's ability to transcend it. That's what endurance is all about. I have a friend that trains uh, men to get ready to train in special forces, like, for example, the Navy SEALs, and he works with them before they go off to uh, possibly be a candidate for that. One of the first things he does with the guys is he puts them on a track and he says, all right, um, run as fast as you can. And, and almost always they say, well, for how long? And he says, you're not ready to be a Navy SEAL. Life is like that, right? Run as fast as you can. For how long? You, you're not ready to live. <laughs> you, don't, the, you don't know how long. Isn't that the rub? Run as fast as you can. Don't ask. Or you're not ready. Perseverance. There it is. We can be almost anything, can't we, for a short period of time? We can be courageous, or we can be compassionate, or we can be, you know, even funny or intelligent. But it's the distance that finds us out, right? And that's why First and Second Thessalonians is talking about distance. It's about perseverance. In both books, it's talking about living our lives for Jesus Christ and then just keep living them. For how long? You're not asking the right questions. He's saying throughout the, both those, these two books, he's saying stay strong, stand firm, endure, persevere more and more. Here's just a couple. Here's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, brothers, uh, in all of your distress, that's difficult. Persecution, that's difficult. We are encouraged about you because of your faith. But now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians, same, same church, another book. So then, brothers, stand firm 
and hold fast to the teachings that we've passed on to you. Now, we've been talking about these two books for three months now, okay? This is our 13th week, and we've seen the different ways that we should be persevering. And so I thought today, kind of to end the series, is we're going to actually talk very practically about how to persevere. This is a game changer, quite possibly a life-changing time for us, because we're going to talk exactly how or what we should do. We'll look at three areas that are brought up in the books of Thessalonians, having to deal with your spiritual life your sexual purity or your married life, and then your financial life. There were other topics in these two books, but we'll just look at those two, and we're going to look at how we can endure. We're going to look at um, a way of looking at life. Uh, You can look at steps to take. There are attitudes, whatever you want to look at. But there's, there's three big, if you look in your outline there, there's three big ways, three big points, three big steps that you need to have as an aspect of the way you perceive all of life. Because you have to run as fast as you can the whole time. The first thing, first thing you want to do is you have to keep the end in mind. Every endurance race, every single endurance race will tell you that you have to keep the finish line in your mind or you'll go insane. Whether you're a distance swimmer or a distance cyclist or a distance runner, you have to, the better your imagination for keeping the end in mind, the more likely you are to succeed. And so sometimes coaches will tell you, you know, to just, they'll have you close your eyes or put you in a dark room and they'll say, smell it, see it. What's that going to look like? Well, how does that taste? What, is it, what, is it, what are you going to touch right after you cross that finish line, after you get your diploma, after you hold that baby? What's that baby going to smell like? That, that will make it all worth it, won't it? Now, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, but he's telling this group of people to endure and to persevere and to live and run as fast as you can your whole life. And here, listen to what, watch it on the board, and then listen for how he's telling us to, to visualize how this thing will end. He's going to tell us to look at Jesus, who is looking at the joy. Therefore, since we are surrounded, look at that, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with, there it is, perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, consider him who endured such opposition to sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We just sang, the arms of our Savior, in the arms of our Savior are 10,000 charms. Much of the songs that we sing that talk about the end, the crossing the line, the holding of the baby, whatever that finishing point, keeping the end in mind, is being in the very presence of Jesus Christ and receiving a crown or some kind of treasure for getting there. Saying all the suffering was worth this victory, right? The victory was worth the pain that you went through to get there. You have to keep the end in mind. You have to focus on that. There's a video that you can watch called uh, The Rabbit Proof Fence, and it's a true story of what took place in three girls' lives in Australia in 1931. Now, in those days, if you were a half-breed, they called them a half-caste, if you were half-aborigine and half-white, they would tear you from your village, out of the hands of your parents, 
and truck you off to an education camp where they would brutalize you and beat you and, and cause you to want to do nothing more than to serve, to be a slave to white people and to not breed. They didn't want this, this crossbreed to continue. And so it's the story of Molly, who's 14, Daisy, who's 8, their sisters, and their cousin Gracie, 10 years old, just children. And they are literally torn from their mother's and their grandmother's arms, taken 1,500 miles away. And as they're being tortured and beaten and deprived of certain things like food and water and comfortable uh, places to sleep, they realized that they had to escape. And how did they do that? They, they knew that the, the rabbit-proof fence would lead them home. And so you can see on the map that they took this, the blue trail there. The, it was almost 1,500 miles long. And, and as uh, Mark Buchanan writes, it was Homeric in proportions. They trudged through blistering deserts, evading wild animals and tractors and police, surviving with food that they have scavenged. They returned nine months later to a joyful reunion. It was difficult. It was horrendous. How did they do it? They kept the end in mind. They were going home. And so they envisioned what it would be like to cross through that threshold to smell their grandmother's house. Every grandmother has a house smell, does it? To, to feel their parents' or grandparents' arms around them. The last time they had their arms around them, the police were pulling them away. They were focusing on that end prize. The work is worth the reward. The suffering is worth the pain and, or, or the, the prize at the end. And so it says... In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look how Paul's doing this in this same book. May, may he, Christ, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. Where? When? In the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. With all of his holy ones. We need to envision that. Jesus never said that perseverance was going to be easy. He just said it was going to be worth it. Jesus never said that life, how long do we run as fast as we can? Your whole life. He never said it was going to be easy. He just said it was going to be worth it. And so the first thing a person has to do to persevere in the Christian life is to focus on the, on, on the end times, to focus on the end, focus on being in the arms of our Savior with 10,000 charms. The second thing you need to do is decide ahead. Now, we're going to look at a different way, different um, places to decide ahead, but let me ask you just a, uh, just a simple question. When is the absolute worst time to go grocery shopping? Yeah, when you're hungry, right? I mean, everybody knows that because maybe we've all experienced that. When you go hungry without your list, you buy everything. We're just going to start in the ice cream aisle and work from there, right? I'm going to need another cart. It's, you don't want it to be impulsive. You don't want emotions to be making decisions for you, right? When is the good time? Let's say you want to stretch yourself physically. When should you say, well, I just ran two miles. I could probably run three. I think I can. And, and do you make that decision when you're sitting down after you're showering, you're drinking that glass of chocolate milk and saying, yeah, I can do this. Or do you make that decision when you've just crusted the two-mile mark and you're starting to hear your feet say, hey, let's go home. Let's go home. 
No, you make the decision ahead of time before you leave. That way you're, you're sober-minded, right? And, and so my point is, before we start talking about any of the details, right now I want to talk about just deciding ahead of time. When you're sober, when you're, when you're sitting down with your Bible, when you're talking to God, the Holy Spirit, you, can, you, you are talking to the Holy Spirit, you are filled with His power. Maybe you have a counselor or a good friend with you that knows how to live life, and your heart is right with God and man. Make your decisions then. That's when, you make, that's when you make your list of what to buy or how to spend or whatever it's going to be. Make your decisions ahead of time. Now, here's three places where you need to decide ahead, right? First, decide ahead to rig the game. And what I mean by that is simply don't, don't play a game unless you're going to win. You know, play on the sh- you choose the short side of the basketball court. Play pool, and, and it's a sloped table on your side. If you could lose, don't play if it's up to you, Right? And, and so you, you want to make sure you can win before you enter. When I was um, starting off running, when I was in high school, and I hate running. Always have. We never got along. We never even really tried to get along. There was never the, oh, that feeling, you know, that feeling. Never had the feeling. So anyway, when I was starting, I used to work out at this gym that was four miles from home. And um, the only way I could figure out I could run four miles was to run from the gym to my house because that was the only way I could get home, was to run home. And we used to drive my dad crazy because I would come home and say, hey, Dad, can you drive me to my car? It's back at the gym. He says, you know, you could run two miles up, two miles back. And I'd say, no, I can't. No, that's not how I run. Because all the time I would be talking myself into getting back home. I mean, just getting back to my car. I, 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 like, I like taking freedom away from me because then I can't choose anymore. Here, let me just put it another way. Maybe the reason you don't endure... Maybe the reason you don't persevere is because your win-loss ratios are way wrong. I'm telling you, you need to decide ahead of time that you're going to play to win or you're not going to play. So look look, look how this works in spiritual development. I mean, the single easiest, best, um, most efficient way to improve your spiritual life, he talks about that in Thessalonians, right, is to attend church. It's simple. Just to attend church, and I would suggest both hours here. Get involved in an adult community or serve in one of our ministries. You go both hours. Now, when do you decide to do that? You want to decide Sunday morning when it's cold and wet? Or do you want to decide now? You want to decide when you're, you know, reasonable, when you're talking with other people, when you're you're kind of working with a group of people to say, hey, look, the Bible says we ought to be doing this more consistently. And see, the thing is, if you decide ahead to rig the game that says, oh, I'm coming to church, unless someone in my family is, is really sick, I'm coming, to my, I'm coming to church because I never know the day that I'm going to get struck by God's Spirit. And now I negotiate all the other things around that. And so I tell people, hey, i got to get home early on Saturday night because I get to go to church tomorrow and I don't want to be, you know, sleeping in but, and, or, or trying to make decisions after the fact. But if you make the decision ahead of time, then the decision's made. You don't want to make that decision on Sunday morning. It's, it's scary to think that, people, that you would make a decision like that, so important to you, you know, like spur of the moment. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're not going to endure. Sexual purity. Uh, again, it's simple. you got to play to win. You have to decide ahead that you're going to rig this thing on sexual purity. And so let's just take 12-hour differences. 
a good time, let me just say a really good time to plan ahead if you're, if you're committed to some relationship and you want to stay sexually pure and you want to live without regret or guilt or remorse and those sorts of things and you want to have your body holy and blameless before God, how about at 2 p.m. when the sun's out? You sit down with a Bible and you're looking at, at what the Word of God says about you know, how you should be treating each other. And then you pray about that thing, and then you're asking other people to help you with that. Two o'clock, broad daylight, you make some decisions ahead of time. And you, and you kind of look at your boyfriend or your girlfriend or somebody you're with, you say, you know what, I don't know if we could be trusted after a certain hour together. Okay, let's decide that now at two o'clock with the sun in the sky. And if you decide, you're, you know what your win-loss record's going to be? If you make decisions at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to win. You've rigged this thing. You're setting yourself up for, for big-time victories. Now, let's just spin the clock around for 12 hours. How about 2 a.m. after you wake up, falling asleep, watching a movie? How's it working for you now? I'm saying, I'm, I mean, Vegas just kind of flipped the odds all the way over against you. You're, you're toast. You're cooked. You're in a bad place. The house is burning down around you, and it's your fault. That's no time to decide. You choose ahead to rig the game. So that's how it is like in what our spiritual lives, and we talked about our married life or our sexual purity. We also decide ahead of time in financial responsibilities. You, you want to just go to the mall and see what happens? I know what will happen. I, wait, something will be on sale, and you'll like it, and you'll buy it. Or you could sit down with maybe one of our financial counselors. They're free. They want to help you, and they want to turn you into a saver and a giver and a person that lives within their means. You sit down, true story, in broad daylight with the Bible, looking at what God would have you do so that you're not you know, like tied up in knots with what you do with your finances, so that you can be responsible and whole and so that you can endure and when you've done all the math and you've done your budget for the year and you've looked at how much you can spend on clothing or whatever, and then you go to the mall, and then you see a blouse that's for sale, and it's within the parameters of your predetermined, chose before to rig the game, it fits inside that budget. You come home whistling. There's no regret. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's, there, there's no drama. There's no, oh, no, how do I get this back? See? You can endure if your win-loss record changes, and the way you change your win-loss record is you decide ahead of time to rig the game. Okay? See how that works? Here's another thing that you have to decide ahead. Base because, because it's endurance, you have to decide ahead to break through the quitting points, to crash through the quitting points. The very definition of endurance means that you're going to hit a place where it's no longer fun and it's a lot of pain, and you're going to decide before you start the race that there's pain coming and, it, and you're not going to listen to it. There's no such thing as perseverance in pleasure, right? I'm an endurance eater of ice cream. I'm not, I'm not getting up from this table until I finish this bowl. That doesn't happen, okay? What, it's always in areas of virtue that we want to keep, and we lose because we quit the moment pain shows up. And here's the problem. When the pain shows up, that's when it becomes endurance, that's when it becomes a, a, a virtue instead of just kind of a, you know, you got lucky. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And when the fatigue catches up to us, we have to have already decided that we're going to get to this place and we're going to break through this place. Again, 
in our spiritual lives. Let's look at some examples of that. In our spiritual lives. There, I can tell you in your spiritual lives that you will plateau, you will stall, you will get stuck. I think we had a 10-week series in this church just on stuck and unstuck. And here's the problem with getting stuck in your spiritual life. You can be there as long as you allow it. Because what worked in the past won't work in the future because something has to change in you. And I want you to know that's coming. It has to come. It's part of growing up. That's what perseverance and endurance is. And you have to decide then, or you have to decide now before that happens, that when you get to the wall, and you will, that you will break through that wall by becoming more humble or more submissive and letting go of more of, generally, you. But you, you need to know that there's a, breakthrough, there's a breakthrough coming, but you have to kind of have a breakdown before that happens. You have to decide ahead of time that you're going to, get, you're going to crash through those breakpoints. In your married life, um, <laughs> there's just a lot of misery in marriage. And I, I, listen, I, I know I mean, the younger you are, the less you believe that. The longer you've been married, the more you comprehend that. Okay, but that's just the way it is. I don't, you know, if you go to our marriage, our pre-marriage counseling, we'll tell you about the misery that's coming, okay? But um, that doesn't sound like a good advertising, does it? No. But something happens, especially in the early years of your marriage, where you say, wait a minute, what happened? It was so fun while we were engaged in the wedding and the honeymoon. Okay, then, then there's this. And, it's, and by this, it means, it, it can, you can, again, it's like the wall, you can stay there for an extremely long time. In my own marriage, our first five years were um, dreadful. I'm being optimistic. And, and it was almost entirely my fault. And, and we, could, we could have made a decision right then to split up, but that wasn't probable. But what we could have decided to do, which is what a lot of people do, is just become roommates and to just pretend. And we will just ride this thing and, see, and, and just settle and we'll just settle. Think of the money we're saving on rent alone. But here's what we, but we decided ahead of time. We decided ahead of time that there would be parts in our marriage that were difficult and that would require serious breakthrough moments. And we, would, we decided ahead of time that we would do anything and everything to break through those points. And we decided that before we were married, because we knew it would happen, we didn't know how bad it would be, but we knew that we would have to choose to do whatever. So we sought counseling, we sought professional counseling, we did what we needed to do. I gotta tell you, I'll tell you, the first five years were dreadful. The last 23 have been amazing. You can't get to the last 23 unless you break through those first five. You can't break through the first five unless you decide ahead of time that you will. While you're, while you're like while you're surprised by the wall that you just hit your nose on, that is no time to make decisions about the future of your marriage. You make them ahead of time. You decide ahead. So you decide ahead, right, to rig the game. You decide ahead to break through. And then finally you decided ahead to get back up. I've been, I've been very, uh, I guess, affirming and proactive on what you're in control of with your life that you could plan ahead to rig the game, that you could plan ahead to break through. And, and, you, and those are good things, absolutely. You should absolutely do those. But let me tell you that life is not fair. It doesn't fight fair. And while you're planning ahead to win, some part of life 
will come out of nowhere and sucker punch you to the ground. And it, it won't even be remotely, even, not even remotely just. I can't find the vocabulary words to describe how unfair the entire experience will feel. And while you're down there, you'll think, this is where I stand. This is it for me. This, this is my place now. And, and if you don't have a, if you don't have a, a pre-decision that when you are sucker punched and, you're, and, you're, and your soul tastes dirt in its teeth, if you don't choose that now, you will stay there. Because, because perseverance, or let's just say suffering, grief and suffering, Christianity never promised to get you out of that. It, Christianity promises to make something out of it. It, it. it has the potential to make something out of it. But there's this, there is this turning point that when a person's down, and this is, this is a dreadful condition to be in, when you're there, you have to decide ahead of time what's going to happen at that. Look, the hottest flames forge the toughest steel. The hottest flames forge the strongest steel. It has that potential, or it can just melt it and make it useless. And so you need to decide, you need to do whatever you can now about the nature of God and whether he can even be evil or whether he can even allow it before that day comes. Because if you don't, as, as one writer puts it, he says, suffering hands us the unique opportunity to refine our faith. It's an opportunity not to lower our expectations but refine them. Well, what are you hoping for? A better house, a better job, more money to slide into heaven without you know, ever weeping bitterly? Suffering teaches us to hope for something that's not of this world, that this world cannot deliver, to look forward to something that's so big, that's so bright, that's so wild, that's so audacious, the world cannot contain it. The fear with this kind of suffering is that it can also cause us to become embittered and reject people and Christ. It, 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 is, it, is, it is a dividing rod in your whole future. And you, and you absolutely must necessarily decide when things are good what will happen when you are not, not, you know, just kind of hit a wall, but when you are knocked to the ground. There's a, a wonderful story about a, a Jewish Soviet back in the Cold War days, and he was a troublemaker. His name is Nathan uh, Sharansky. And Nathan Sharansky was a, a kind of a political leader in the Jewish community, and they, the Russians, the Soviet Union, they did what they did, and they threw him in the gulag. They shut him up and make him go away. But he had too many followers. Some of you might know this. Ronald Reagan used him in a speech, and he's been uh, making speeches ever since, uh, Nathan has. And so he had such, such an upswelling of people talking about him, his imprisonment that it would be easier for the Soviet Union should just let Nathan go. And so he was in East Berlin. If you remember, Berlin was split between um, uh, the communist part, right, and then the rest of Berlin, the capital of Germany. And so there's this one bridge. It's called the Spy Bridge, and this is where they would exchange spies. And so when they put Nathan Sharansky at, at when they walked him over there, that's the KGB on each side of him, they were just going to let him go so that he would go away and shut up. And, and then they pushed him. You can go now. 
But what was very strange, and on the other side on West Berlin, there were camera crews and, you know, it was a huge, you know, uh, uh, story event, you know, news event. There was camera crews everywhere and, and microphones reaching out. And Nathan, he comes across, he comes across the bridge and he, then he starts skipping and then zigzagging and then just kind of standing around looking and then kind of casually he walked to the other side, the West Berlin, the free side. And they said, what? Why, why did you do that that way? And he said, well, the last thing the KGB told me was to walk straight line to the other side. And whatever they tell me to do, I won't. When you're down and your soul is in this gravel and you don't, and you don't want to get up, you can't hear those voices that say, stay down. Just forget all those silly things that you used to talk about, the silly beliefs that you used to have about God and Jesus and everlasting goodness. Just stay there and drink in the bitterness. When you hear those, do the opposite. You have to choose that ahead of time. You have to choose to get up. I promise you, I promise you, this is coming. So, you have to think with the end in mind. You have to choose ahead. And then finally, never alone. Absolutely never alone. Um, we've talked so much about never being alone in our series together. I just didn't want to be a nag. So you can't do this. You have to, uh, the power of accountability. You tell other people about you keeping the end in, line, in mind, about how you're going to rig the game in whatever area of your life, whether it's finances or spiritual or sexual purity or whatever it might be. You get other people involved and your win-loss record's going to be huge. You get two people to know that when you're down, what it's going to look like and how they can help you whisper Scripture into your soul so that you will get up. Look at most, look at most like marathon or endurance races, okay? Look what happens. This is so typical. You have some person running and all kinds of family and friends along the route encouraging them, Right? While they're running with a friend, a friend running with a friend with friends cheering on. Why is that? Because that's the nature of endurance. That's the nature of enduring races. There is power in community, and that's what we build our church around, in the power of that community so that we might encourage one another to endure until the end. Where do you want to start? How do you want to start our little life with endurance? Run as fast as you can. <laughs> For how long? Right. Here's a way. I, I think here's what would be a great way to start. I mean, I think if you get this part right, a lot is going to happen for you in, in, in your soul's transition to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Do, consider doing this. Consider this discipline. Enduring this. 15 minutes a day with your Bible. Maybe with a notepad and a pen on the side. If you could do that, 15 minutes a day, you sit down. If you could do it the first thing in the morning, that would, be, that would be spectacular. If you could do it the last part of the day, still great. 15 minutes a day, you sit down in a regular disciplined way. You choose ahead of time when it will be and then rotate everything else around it. Set yourself up to win. Start in the book of John or Luke, some easy-to-read passage. Set yourself up to win. Rig this thing. And then you just sit down there and you exhale. You're sitting in that chair. You exhale. You inhale the Spirit of God. You exhale the junk in your life. You inhale 
the willingness to do whatever God calls you to do, and then you open your Bible, and then you read. You read for about 13 minutes. And you spend two minutes maybe writing little notes in the margin. 15 minutes of your whole day. Start there. Start there. Choose now and, and, and arrange everything else around that. Watch what happens to your life when you calibrate around the promises of God. If you have young children, you want to you put their world right? 15 minutes at the dinner table. If they're younger, 15 minutes, climb into bed with them. Find one of those cute little Bible books for kids. Read. They're going to want to stay up a lot more than 15 minutes. Use their manipulation to manipulate them back. Okay? It's jujitsu, man. It's just magic judo stuff, man. Yeah, can I stay up a little longer? Sure, let's read the next chapter. Read. Pray for them. Let them hear you talk to God about their soul. 15 minutes a day. Make it 30 when they want to. It can change your whole world. What does it look like at the end? At the end, the prize is worth all the pain. The trophy is worth the punishment that got you there. Your spiritual life starts evolving. You start hearing God's voice. You become more stable, more confident in, in what God is doing in your life. You're not like just, just, a, just kind of this ping-pong ball on the storms of life. You're anchored. You're anchored by truth that transcends time and culture. Your, your married life, your intimate life is honoring God. And then you get to experience not just the the pleasure of these things, but the spiritual and the emotional dimensions that make it so mystical that it's inexplicable. Your financial life, you know, right? Your financial life, you run it. It isn't running you. You You live with a plan, and it's God's plan for your finances. You become a saver. You become a giver. You become a whole different human being. What does the end look like? The end looks like you in the image of Christ, appearing with, before him blameless in the day of the Lord when he's there with this cloud of witnesses. This is a great day. Think about these things. This is how you're to endure. You have to think about the end in mind. Let me review. You have to choose ahead. And, and, and you must do this with someone else. You have to find a running buddy for life. How long? You're not ready yet. Run as fast as you can with a friend. Let's pray to that end, okay? Let's be that church. Lord Jesus, I am grateful that you, you know, put these things in our minds, that you let us, you know, you teach us in Proverbs about just studying the ant and his discipline and how he plans ahead for the winter all these ways that you've taught us throughout Scripture on how to endure suffering. I'm grateful, Lord, that you never, you never said that, that suffering was going to be easy. You just said it was going to be worth it. And, Lord, I'd ask that you would give us a vision of what worth it looks like so we would focus on that end. We would continually focus, have our minds set on the coming of the Lord when we see him face to face and we put like a picture of our lives at his feet. And that life would be, you know, faultless and blameless without regret. Help us, Lord. Help us be disciplined in endurance. Teach us to persevere in the context of persecution and suffering. We, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.